0: Welcome to the Life After Swim podcast. I'm so excited to be here with Jamie. She's a registered dietitian going on her seventh year. She works, she has her own private practice now, and she primarily works with soccer players. And she was also a former soccer player. I'm so excited to have you here, Jamie. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks, Alex, for having me on. I, I'm, I'm excited for us to kind of dive into all this.
0: Yeah. Before this, we were talking about like literally every topic that we talked about could be a whole separate episode.
1: Oh my gosh. Yes. They really, really could go on and on and on just because they're, they're that heavy.
0: Yeah. During this time, like the holiday um, season, it's really important that like we help, like we're sensitive with our language, especially those with eating disorders. Um, what would you say are some ways we can support Um, loved ones or friends with eating disorders during this time?
1: Yeah, I think that um, I love that question, because supporting someone with an eating disorder is, is tough on family members, friends. Um, So I would make sure that first, you are getting support from somebody, uh, because it can be a really tricky road to navigate. But I think The important thing is we want to make sure that we are asking the individual, um, you know, how you can support them, how you can show up for them. So talking to them individually and asking them what they need from you is going to be super important. Um, making sure that we don't make comments about somebody's body size and how it's changed, whether it's maybe gotten bigger or smaller not commenting about the amount of food that is on their plate or maybe not on their plate. Maybe they are working with, um, a therapist an eating disorder dietitian that has specific things prescribed. And so that individual might be working on something specific. So not commenting, um, which can be, I think really hard on people. Um, cause you also don't know, who is struggling with an eating disorder? They don't really have an appearance. So even if someone doesn't have like a an eating disorder, I think even having disordered eating can can still be um, is still a problem. And I also think that, you know, we want to tell them that we love them. So it kind of goes along with the support um, because people that are struggling with this need to know that they're not alone Um, because a lot of, a lot of the times during the holidays, it can be really isolating and there's more anxiety because there's maybe even more food that is, that is present. A lot of the fear foods that they may have are going to be even more present. So it gets really, it gets really tricky. And I see a lot of, a lot of people struggling even more.
0: There's an important distinction between, Disordered eating and eating disorders. Can you expand upon that a little bit? Yeah. So, not, I
1: think I see a lot of people, and I think a lot of dietitians would agree with me that a lot of disordered eating is normalized in our culture. Um, and I know that as a dietitian early on, when I was like a baby dietitian, I contributed to a lot of that stuff, a lot of, you know, kind of helping people. Disconnect from their body and just trying to be in a smaller body. And that I've learned is wrong and not correct, and kind of where I've caused harm. Um, and so when we look at disordered eating, it really is, it's just a way that um, essentially negatively affects not just like your physical health, but more so your mental health. Um, it's the intention behind behavior. It also doesn't meet um, certain criteria to make it an eating disorder. So it's the DSM-5 that classifies eating disorders. And so disordered eating doesn't necessarily mean that someone has an eating disorder, but it does increase the likelihood that they will go on to develop it. um, Because That's kind of how it, it trends and it kind of becomes, um, kind of obsessive in nature. And so it kind of morphs from this idea of wanting to, you know, be healthy. Right. And then it starts to kind of take away that it kind of takes over their mental capacity, um, to like function throughout the day. And then it ends up affecting their physical health in such a bad way and so that's where eating disorders um, in appearance in labs that we see uh and just kind of the things that they start to become scared of uh that'll that'll morph into an eating disorder
0: there's so many good points out of that for me i think the biggest one was the intention behind it like i know like people when they comment on like someone's weight or even just food in general like there's sometimes like they're not everyone has bad intentions with it. I think it's just like being aware of like what you're, how you're saying like affects other people. What are some like ways we can like monitor our language, even like in some coaches now, like ways that they can like be aware of what they're saying and like how it impacts their athletes?
1: Ooh, it's it's tough. So I think first off, before like kind of diving into that, I think acknowledging that athletes are two to three times more likely to develop disordered eating and eating disorders just because of the sport, um, and the pressures that they are going to be facing. And I, I'm sure with like swimming, I, I can't even imagine what kind of weight culture that might even be. Um, you know, we we're used to thinking like aesthetic sports, like wrestling, gymnastics, things that desire a lower weight, but it's starting to affect a lot of other sports. Um, and I see it with my soccer players and just trying to, to be that, uh, I think it's important for coaches, um, to understand that they're, they need to challenge their belief that a lower body weight is going to equal performance, equal, better performance. Um, because their mindset is what often starts to impact their athletes and, and even their their athletes' parents um, and how they, um, I guess, approach everything with with nutrition. Um, and I think coaches can also help their athletes just by focusing less on the overall success and making sure they're really supporting the whole athlete um, because they are more than their sport and they're more than their body. And so coaches um, can definitely refrain, like refrain, refrain from, um, first making comments about anyone's body. Um, because I see it a lot where well-intentioned, um, and maybe even getting into some coaches that may be more mean-spirited in their comments to try to elicit a response, um, can be the catalyst for an eating disorder. And so watching the comments that they that they have um again not commenting on anyone's amount of food if they feel like they are concerned about maybe an athlete gaining um gaining weight uh or maybe losing weight then they need to be talking to the athletic trainer um if they don't have a dietitian on staff then they need to be reaching out to the athletic trainer who then reaches out to um a sports specific doctor that way they can start to network and get in touch with somebody because sometimes um less is more the less that you comment about something the more that it can actually help that individual versus like trying to help them a lot of people are not you know they don't have the education to really help somebody they are going to often do more harm than good
0: Wow, I I wrote down a bunch, but from that I think for me the biggest thing I got from that was like the coach to trainer pipeline. So I'm like we're not coaches are meant to be like nutritionists. They mm-hmm. I think just like reaching out to people instead of going directly to the athlete is so important.
1: Yes. And sometimes it may even be where you, you know, you can have conversation, but you know, this stuff ends up becoming a real a real slippery slope. Um, and we don't always know everyone's situation. We don't know everybody's trauma, that they have experienced words that have been said, even like, you know, just just how people, you know, take in information. We don't know any of that stuff um, very well. And so I think all everybody that everybody could do with a little bit more compassion and a lot more empathy. Um, because we don't know what someone is going through. And I think that that can really help us to, to really support, um, individuals that are dealing with disordered eating, um, or, you know, an
0: eating disorder, a whole lot better. Like during the holidays, like it's a lot easier to set boundaries. I feel with coaches than with your own family members, do you have any advice for people with, um, struggling with eating disorders this holiday, just to set bound healthy boundaries with their family? Ooh, family's tough. Um, you know,
1: we all have, we all have different types of family members, ones that are a little bit more um, outspoken. Um, and some that are maybe a little bit more like, you know, they, they cut deep, but they don't, you know, it it seems very well intentioned. I think, obviously, like setting boundaries to what you're willing to tolerate, and understanding that, you know, they don't know what you're, they don't necessarily know what you're going through. Um, They don't know what you have been talking about with your therapist and your eating disorder dietitian. like, they don't know that stuff. Um, And so I think the different types of boundaries that can be discussed could be, um, I know, in my personal experience, what I tell my family is, I don't want to talk negatively about Food. I would like to just talk about other things that are happening in our lives, and just we eat the food, but we don't talk about it in a negative way. So that's the boundary that I set with them. Um, I also tell them that we're not. I don't. I don't appreciate comments on my body. So I don't want you to say any good things that you think about my body. I don't want you to say any bad things that you think about my body, like. I don't, I don't care. So that's how I've communicated with my family and they have respected that. That doesn't always happen. Um, You know, people like their particular diets that they're on. They like talking about that. And so sometimes it may just be where you need to walk away or ask to just change the subject of the conversation or say, that's not what my I'm working on right now with my therapist and, you know, be able to do that. There's a bunch of other ways, but I think being able to either change the subject or know you're not going to change other people in your conversation. And sometimes it's not worth the getting riled up because I've been there. I've gotten really upset and really angry and it doesn't, it just doesn't look good on anyone's part. So I don't know. Maybe walking away would would be one of the best options.
0: There's a lot of power in walking away and just like protecting your peace of mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's everywhere. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Life After Swim podcast. If you like today's episode, be sure to tune in to part two with Jamie. We're talking about social media, body image, and adjusting nutrition and lifestyle after competitive swimming. So be on the lookout for that